0: Hi, I'm Vanessa Anderson. And I'm Stephanie Cooley. It's time to give ourselves a moment to be real, to express all of
1: motherhood. Mothering is beautiful. It's wonderful. And you know what? It's fucked up too. Come hang out with us. We're the Real Motherfuckers.
0: Welcome to Real Motherfuckers. Suzanne Yatim Aslam. Uh, I love your book. Um, I just feel really... Privileged to talk to you today. Um, I when reading your book, I was blown away by how raw you are, how honest you are, and courageous. Like I feel like the thoughts and feelings that you have in this book that you'll be talking about in more detail is just it was it it was a lot. Like there were moments where I had to stop and be like, damn, you know, and 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 ponder and feel you and what you were going through those moments. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's also, you know, there's thoughts in all mothers' minds that we don't want to say out loud. And you did it, and you did it, like I said, so honestly. And I thoroughly enjoyed hearing your voice because that's how I read your book. I did it on Audible, which I recommend to everybody. And um, yeah, I feel it's just awesome to have read your book and literally yesterday and see your face today. I just want to thank you for being on our podcast today.
1: Oh,
2: thank you, ladies. I'm so excited. And thank you for taking the time to read it.
1: I read it also through Audible. I listened to you and I felt like a nice, it's almost like, you know, mothers feel like they need to have connection with other mothers Mm. sometimes. And I felt like that connection with you through listening to it. Everybody, I think you should listen to her book. Um, And there were so many moments where, you said things that I was like, yep, I've felt that. And sometimes even some things you, you made me feel seen. So thank you for that. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. Can you, Um, the the thing that I say at the end, I don't think I had it in the audible, but there's just like a little blurb at the end where I talk about motherhood being sisterhood. Right. And this book doesn't offer, it talks about a mental health issue, but I don't offer medical advice. That's not my profession, but I just want to hold your hand. and let you know that you're not alone in this hard time and hopefully give you the courage to ask for help if you are going through it and if you're not going through it it's still really um, good to read because to your point it you still sort of like it's a lot of the struggles are going to happen whether or not you have postpartum depression some of those struggles that you hear about in the book that just every mom goes through so it's just kind of nice to know whether it's depression or not that you're all in this together
0: absolutely i i did not have postpartum depression, but Stephanie has, and she's been honest about it in a lot of realms throughout our podcast and just in our friend circle. And my heart goes out to you guys, anyone who's going through this or who has gone through it. um, It seems very heavy and it seems very isolating. So Mm -hmm. to know through both of your experiences so far, how that must feel for you. I feel as a friend and as a mother that I had a better perspective on how I could help someone going through this. So thank you both for your honesty so far. Yeah.
1: Can you tell us uh, a little bit about your book, how and how you came to write about it? Yes, so I wrote a—it's a dark
2: comedy memoir called "Postpartum mm-hmm. Me." Little play on words there. Um, it is a—it's a dark comedy on postpartum depression and anxiety. And the, fir- the book is split up into two parts, so it's, it's all journal entries. And the reason I did it in journal entries is because I was experiencing postpartum depression, and I did not know that that's what I was experiencing because mamas hear this. For me, correlation was causation. So at the same time I became a mom was the same time I got depressed. But I didn't know that that's what that was, that I was experiencing depression. So I just thought that being a mom sucked. Like, oh, this is how you feel when you're a mom. Great, this is the rest of my life. So first of all, why would I ask for help? Because there's nothing to help. This is just what mom life is like and this is what I signed up for. Um, And then secondly, when I did try to, even before I knew I had depression, I was just like venting and talking to people. When I would express some of those dark thoughts, they were not well-received. Um, I would, it would, I don't know, Stephanie, if you felt this, but like, it was really dismissive. So people would be like, oh, well, no, thank God he's healthy. And I'm like, yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just, I'm dying. Um, or, you know, like I, one time I told my father-in-law, um, I, I need this to be a dream. I need to wake up. Oh my God. And I was like, actually panicking. And he's like, no, no, this is the best time. No. And you know, like, people didn't actually like hear my words and hear the cry for help that was going on that I was even unaware of. I was just talking, but people did not like it. So I just stopped talking. So I did it in the form of journal entries because it was the only way I knew to get you inside of my head since there was no other way. If I spoke, it was not validated. Mm -hmm. So journal entries felt like the right way to go in this book um, that I just made up. So I did not have these journal entries. These were not like, I didn't pull this from my real diary. This is just stuff that I wrote um, because I used to be an actress and I love scripts and I love, I love reading. I'm a huge reader. I love fiction. And so I wanted to write a story as it were. Um, So I use my creativity, my need for creativity, sitting at home with two kids and not being able to be an actress anymore. I, wrote my story as best as i could using my creativity but also knowing like you have to know your audience you can't write for you you have to write for the people you're writing for yeah. so um which is a tricky line because you still want to like be authentic and still like it's almost he- it's healing for you but you still need to like it's not actually your diary that people are right. going to sit and read. you know they have to care so um so yeah i i tried to make it as interesting and entertaining as possible for people who've never met me will never know me um and still feel
0: connected Well, I did feel that. I did feel that. And that's why I liked hearing your voice because it was literally me living the moments you were living when you were saying these things through Audible. Like I was like, wow. It was like you were talking to me personally. I love that. And I felt sorry for you. And a lot of times I felt sorry that you didn't feel heard, that you felt lost. And I felt, do you, I feel like the reactions that you got were more, from your family and friends, and not certain friends, because some of them, especially your friend that pretty much said, hey, this is what you've got, because she actually yeah. hurt you. Some yeah. people feel uncomfortable hearing that from a mom. They don't want to yeah. hear that you're not joyful. They don't want to hear that you're struggling. It's like an uncomfortable thing that no one wants to deal with, and it seems like that's what you had in the beginning. It was like they're in denial that you're hurting. <laughs>
2: <laughs> They're Ooh. in denial. I have to deal with their feelings. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I say this thing in the book, if you remember about, um, mothers are like goddesses. And uh-huh. the thing that I noticed is that when we say, cause we say that phrase, you know, like mamas will take, um, uh those pic like maternal photos you know and and they look like goddesses in these pictures right like this is how we depict mothers but that's not necessarily true we we, we depict them more i would say like the virgin mary so like this like really pious quiet humble motherly figure who's just like has all the answers because there's people who literally pray to the virgin mary for all of their answers and so i feel like even though we say goddesses we're really thinking of more of mary if you were to actually equate us to a goddess which i do believe is more accurate goddesses are fierce and they're pissy and they're emotional and they're up and they're down and they're jealous and they've got rage and they've got joy and they've got they've got sensuality and they've got like all these things that a woman actually really is but we're not allowed to actually express that when you're a young mom you know because you're supposed to be the virgin mary mm-hmm. having just had a little baby you know? So, so to have all those other feelings is very, very strange to people to watch. There's only one way you're supposed to behave after you have a
1: child. And that is it. When you talked about, are you, you were asking me if I had uh, dealt with similar situations and I did, Mm -hmm. and I didn't even say anything out loud because I knew it wouldn't be well-received. I also Mm -hmm. was so deep in my depression that I couldn't physically say it out loud. I was so down that I just, I was too exhausted and too anxious to say anything out loud. Um, So I love the fact that you had put words to a lot of these things. Yeah. So as far as when I was listening to the book, I was also wondering what you did to deal with the postpartum depression. Um, I know that you had had a really great breakthrough conversation with Cossum, and I'm sure you, it was probably multiple conversations in right. real life. Yeah. Um, did you seek help as well? Or did you deal with it um, with, with your partnership? How? What are some other ways that you dealt with it? This is This is funny. People will
2: ask me Uh, in interviews they're like oh so like how did you cope how did you get through it and i was like no no this is a cautionary tale this is like a do as i say not as i did uh Mm -hmm. sort of thing because i didn't do anything right right i i kept it all in i didn't ask for help um i hadn't really considered that therapy could be an option i did by the time i had my second one it, it like occurred to me and stephanie you might understand this when you are experiencing um, a mental health issue, particularly depression, where your depression, and I say this a lot, your depression is lying to you. Yes. It is lying to you. But what it is telling you is that you're in this deep dark hole and you can't get out of it and you can't think straight and your your thoughts just spiral and spiral and spiral and they're all horrible. How on earth, that plus a baby that you're taking care of, how are you supposed to be like what can I do to get help? What are some coping skills I can do? Like you can't think about that stuff. It's so hard unless it's already been given to you, unless you listen to a podcast and you like these ideas are like kind of floating around in your head to pull later. I didn't have any of that yet. So I had no, like I had no coping skills and it didn't occur to me to go to therapy or anything like that. I've never been a person who's into uh, pharmaceuticals. So that's not something that I would have. Done, and a lot of women take that and that's fine. I do believe that that only addresses like symptoms and it doesn't actually get to the heart of what's going on. But I do know that a lot of women like just to get by, like just need it for now and that's that's fine, that's their business. Um, but I wish I would have gone to therapy sooner. I wish I would have learned how to self-regulate. You know, I wish I would have learned like breathing techniques. I wish mm-hmm. I would have understood the energy between me and my son, because all the energy that I had that was horrible you know, I'm feeding to him. He was horrible. He's feeding it back to me because he's miserable feeling my own feelings. And then I'm miserable that he's miserable and I'm sending that back. And it was just this horrible cycle. And I had no idea any of this was happening or how it was happening or why it was happening. So, um, don't do it. Don't do that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I didn't get help until after year one, you know, Mm. I went through an entire year of not enjoying motherhood and then finally got help and had someone tell me that this is what's going on with me. What did um, you do for I went to therapy and okay. I took medication and I did all kinds of other things like met- breathing techniques, all of that other stuff. Right. I, I refrained from taking medication for quite a while and finally I decided to do it and then I took it and I was like, why the hell didn't I take this sooner? <laughs> um, but it's, it's, you know, it's not the one solve, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's it's doing all the things which no one wants to hear, you know, eating right, exercising, doing breathing techniques, sleeping well, doing all of those things on top of being a mother, which is hard. But yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of the portrayal of motherhood is like focus on baby, but you got to focus on you. I I love that. line I'm going to write that down the betrayal of motherhood. Oh,
2: that is so beautiful.
0: And I also want to ask you both this question. Steph, in the previous podcast that we recorded, we did Next Generation Parenting, and we both talked about our generations before us, excuse me, that Ah, with traumas, Mm -hmm. uh, traumas that pass on to each generation, and now science is saying that's real. Yep. All of us deal with something from our childhood we all have a perspective and an experience that we've had with our parents. Yep. Anxieties, uh, fears, all that culminates when you are not just focused on yourself, when you're bringing somebody else into the world and you have mm-hmm. to be there for them and on all the other levels. Do you feel like a lot of that came out like a zip that needed to be popped when you guys had your babies? Like you had that, but maybe this brought it up for you in a way. That your parenting stuff or any traumas of being a child or having a relationship with your parents maybe brought this, pushed it forward for you to deal with at the time that you became a parent? Do you so, like that irrelevance? Does that make sense? What so, I'm asking?
2: Yeah. And so the first thing, I think this happens to every single parent, moms and dads. And like, I don't think you have to even experience postpartum depression for this thing to occur. Absolutely. Every time my children turned a certain age, I would, for example, my mom left me and my, I was three and my mom left me and my one-year-old sister at home because she had to go help my dad out in the blizzard. We lived in Northern Michigan and she, and she like knew this is what, this is what she's saying. I don't agree with her, but she's like, Suze will be fine. She'll, she'll, you know, she'll just put in a little tape in the VCR and she'll press play. And when it's over, she'll rewind it and it's fine. I'm not going to be gone very long. And she tells me this is like a as like a moniker of pride. Like, look how mature and amazing you are. You're such a good big sister, et cetera, et cetera. I my son turned three, and I was like, what the fuck was she thinking? How could she do that to me? You know? And and then I started learning recently about like your nervous system, because now I'm in therapy, ladies, and I'm doing like IFS and all that, all that kind of therapy. And do you guys know about IFS? Did I just over? I do not know what that oh, is. Let's stop yeah. there. Okay, it's <laughs> internal family systems. It's about like all the little parts inside of you and how you have to tend to all the little parts that didn't necessarily get to grow that are still protecting you. So there's like little, there's like little Suze, who's my protector, who understood that I am the child of immigrants, that I'm the oldest child. I have to, I was parentified extremely young as per the example I just gave. And so I didn't really necessarily have like my emotional needs fulfilled. So what I understood at a very young age is that I have to protect myself. And mm-hmm. that I'm gonna just keep getting disappointed if I keep going like, love me and you know. And my parents loved me, but not in the way that you need like a certain emotional stability. So, so there's like a, a protector part of me that keeps me safe all these years later and is still like three or four or five years old. You know what I mean? And so now I'm looking at my kids and I'm like, am I doing this? What? How am I fucking you up? You know? And I'm <laughs> like terrified Yeah. Up. <laughs> As you are, you're fucking him up. You're fucking her up. Like it's Absolutely. happening. Let's accept that. Yes. We're gonna have a report card too.
0: This is gonna happen. Yeah.
2: They're gonna be in therapy in 30 years or on a holographic podcast talking about whatever it is that we're talking about now. Um so so I so I was like, every every age that they hit, I think of what my life was like at that age. And oftentimes I'm like, oh, I need to do better. Yeah. You know? And, but what it did is in one sense, it was like, yeah, okay, I need to do better. That wasn't okay. But at the same time, it also gave me a lot of grace because for my parents, because my mom was 21, when she had me, I was 30 when I had Sammy and she was an immigrant at 21. And how hard and and from a war zone you know so how hard must that have been for her to come here and then like she was a baby and to have to parent so it gave me a lot of a lot of grace but it also really opened my eyes to how i want to raise my kids differently
1: right we're both from immigrant parents as well Mm -hmm. and um i also think about like okay what are the chances that my mom dealt with postpartum depression with three three daughters and probably she was also like dealing with all the stresses of her life as well and like how they didn't have an opportunity to say any of this out loud yeah at least we get to mm-hmm. and i appreciate the fact that we can even have this conversation out loud oh and share publicly. yeah
2: um my mom after i had it, like came out that i have depression um and i started explaining to her what it was you could see her eyes light up where she was like Oh, oh, that explains a lot. And she kind yeah. of was like backtracking to what she was like as a as a young mom. And sure enough, that I mean, that she really resonated with a lot of what I was saying. But what is she supposed to do? Like, bitch about it in the middle yeah. of like four four kids, and yeah. you know. And again, she came from a war zone. Like, she had bigger issues to deal with. Um, bitching mm. about being bad is 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 the way I kind of put it. Where I'm like, that whole sentence I understand is not is not correct and I'm, I'm using that on purpose like bitching about being sad is not what postpartum depression is but that's how i I internalized it because uh-huh. I didn't know that's what I had so I was like, oh my god like just grow the fuck up you're fine you know um my family comes from a place where like they're under oppression and they their water gets cut off as collective punishment and I'm gonna sit here in my Scottsdale condo and be like things are hard you guys yeah you know
1: like that was the totally that yeah was hard for me
2: Um, because I just know what like real struggle was like. So I refuse to accept the fact that I was struggling.
0: Totally. But you know what? I do have to say this, that our parents did right. And I'm speaking for all three of us, just uh, sitting here as I see us as very strong women, as those Mm. hard times that they had, and they were strong for us. And I had young parents as well, same age as yours. And, and, um, they did not define us in the way that we became weak it defined us in the way that we became strong from that like it gave us it sucks that we feel those sad feelings sometimes but we've used that to become stronger we've used it to improve ourselves we've used it to analyze our parenting skills and be able to you know nourish something beautiful from it and do our best I think without that it's a handicap when you don't have that struggle sometimes yeah you know mm-hmm. and it, You, I see that this has helped us grow instead of us. Like you, I think Deepak Chopra said one time, we can play a a video in our head over and over of some situation over and over and over and let it dominate the rest of our lives. Or we can eject that tape and put it to the side because that tape is the past. You have to bring a new perspective. And I really feel, working with Steph, listening to you now, I really feel like that tape has been ejected. And that we mm. are looking at our life per- in a different perspective and doing work, podcast, you writing your book, journaling. I mean, yeah. there's work to be done the rest of our lives. And it's up to us to use this life as a classroom or for it to be our own health. And I feel like you, all of us, I can speak just yeah. sitting here are doing that work. And I hope we can encourage women to eject that tape of victimhood mm. and redeem mm. themselves to make then self-render and, and cope forward with life and, and grow not saying you'll never have sad moments, but right. use those sad moments as a classroom. Yeah. You
1: know, use for those all... sad moments in the classroom. I love that.
0: Yeah.
1: I was going to say for all those 21 year old moms listening to our podcast and VHS tape is <laughs> uh, you know, something that we used to watch videos or movies on. It was What's work.
0: We went ahead and find the perfect spot. And you know, <laughs> You had to like
1: roll the tape when it got yeah, pulled I out.
0: Oh, so good. Um, and I had another. We had a question for you. Did you suffer the postpartum depression with your second child as well? That's a good question. Uh, yes.
2: Um. Yeah. It kind of was like weaning, but then I had the second one, and then my anxiety flared up. So that was um, fun. Um, yeah, and I. It, that was unexpected. So I've, I've always had like mild anxiety. And then it just made like, it just became a, a main character in, in my life um, after my kids. But then it just got worse with with Ronan, my second, and they're two years apart. So by the time Ro- Sammy was one, I was pregnant with the second one, mm-hmm. um, which is good times. Now it's fine. Now I'm like, I would absolutely do that again. That's how it worked out how it should right now. They're in that room playing together and it's great. Um, so my anxiety flared up and it was very, very strange because anxiety is a it's a weird beast. It's a very weird beast. It the the physical ramifications of anxiety, like the nausea and this and, and that kind of stuff, I hated. I almost hated that more than the depression. Like I hated the fear that I constantly felt. That if I had to pick, I think I'd pick the depression over the anxiety. The anxiety was too, it was too much. It was way too debilitating. Cause I could like walk around and be sad. And I wasn't the kind where I like laid in bed all day. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just, I just walked around sad. Um, but the anxiety was debilitating The anxiety. I was like, something is going to come at me. I'm going to die, you know? And that that's more, for me, it was harder to um, maneuver around and actually function.
0: Well, whether you're postpartum, you know, have postpartum depression or not, going from one to two children is a huge shift in your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just the timing of it all and balancing this, everything, balancing the attention, balancing everyone's needs. It is a game changer. I feel. Yeah. So I I, yeah. I, thought, I was wondering how that went because it's, it, and I, I didn't have it, but I did have anxiety. As far as like, how am I handling this? Am I really giving my first child the attention since we had one-on-one and now we're switching to this other child? And, you know, I, I, I did feel at times just because I'm alone a lot because I'm a husband's profession, you know, I, I didn't give them the attention they deserve because I had to serve one or the other. When you're by yourself, it's just facts. You yeah. know, you're not going to give them the 110% you gave the first child before the second one came around. So on top of what, you know, postpartum, I can't even imagine... How that so feel. if I can remember, there's two things I want to say about that. The first one, and every time
2: I say there's, oh, there's two things. By the time I get to the second one, I don't remember. So here's my disclaimer that my brain might not remember. Yeah. Um, so the first thing is, I don't know if you guys experienced this. when you said the thing about your husband being gone a lot with his profession, um, I talk to like dad, sometimes I'll be on dad podcasts and they'll be like, I didn't know what else to do. So I did the one thing I knew how to do really well, which was go to work and make money. Uh and especially if they're like entrepreneurs where they that's what they excel at and me and this one guy that i was talking to he was like we should do a study on the productivity and the amount of money that gets made the first year after the baby because the husband is so not useless he just doesn't know what his role is so he just goes out and he does that one thing that he knows really well um so so it's not that they don't want to; they just don't know, and then we don't know, so we don't know what to tell them to do. So they're just going to go out and do the thing that they know, you know.
1: Yeah. Um, so that was—that's a fascinating. We should do that study. Gosh, I want to do that study. I think it would be really, really I interesting. About my husband too, because he's an entrepreneur, and yeah, he got a lot of deals done during those
2: those first See? years. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's something like it. There's it's just a biological. He's like, oh my god, I have to go provide, and it's yeah. beautiful um But there was other things that could have been
1: doing had we known, and this yeah. is what and sucked. You places because yeah, you walking know, on eggshells around us and like, shit, I don't know what to do around this lady who seems like she's gonna like, I don't know, go crazy, yeah. literally going crazy. And so I remember my husband just kind of just like doing what he felt like he could do without mm. ruffling feathers, and then you know going off to work and. You know, repeat all of that.
2: There were times where I found out later that my husband stayed home from work and worked in his like home office, which isn't as uh easy for him because there's only like one computer versus like five computer screens in his work office. Um, but he was worried about me and the baby and he wasn't really sure what he meant by worried. Like he didn't know if he didn't know. But yeah. he needed He didn't keep an eye on me, but he couldn't tell me he needed to keep an eye on me because I would have lost my shit if he said that to me. So he just stayed home and he's like, oh, I have a light day. I'm just going to work from the home office. But no, he was, you know, keeping. So there's, there's a lot there where like, if we could have communicated better, if I could have told him what my struggles were and not just that, but like, I have to not just know what my struggles are, but I have to be able to express them and I have to be able to express what I need. And that's really hard because he'd be like, how can I help you? And I'd be like, I don't know. So it's like, a. this is a big ask I'm asking of people. I'm like to sit there and be like, hey, you need to get help. You need to speak up. You need to be your own advocate. Like I'm asking for a lot when I say that. And I understand that. But it's just, that's just is what it is.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of process. And it's like coming out of being an addict or something. You have to have these steps. You know, you have to admit you have a problem. You have to analyze what will help you. And then you have to go out and do the research to actually help yourself. There's a lot of steps. And when you're exhausted, that seems like a overwhelming task to go yes. to do. You know what I mean? I mean yeah. I'll say my husband was out of the box. He tried to work less to be home more with us. And he's a very present father. Um and I feel like sometimes he's even more present than I am. Like he's like an over dad, you know what I mean? And it's been great. Um, but yeah, if I'm ever was ever unhappy or when I needed my time because I did leave my profession for a while. I did feel sad. I felt like, like you had said in your book, like uh, my identity changed. I didn't know what to do yeah. with my life, you know, and my value system of who I was changed. And so I was unhappy in that aspect. And he was always like, like Cossum awesome would say, "What can I do? How can I help you? How
1: can we fix it?" And I would say, "I don't know. If I knew that, I wouldn't be here." You know what I mean? This reminds me of a conversation we had with a former guest who said, "When when she's grieved, when people are grieving, don't ask." how you can help, just do something. Yeah. Just do something.
2: Yes. Um, my midwife said that. Uh, my midwife, we were like, I was in labor. And I think I remember I was standing and I was standing next to the bed and Cosmo's behind me, like holding me up. And then he goes, what do you want to do? Do you wanna? Do you wanna maybe go sit down now? Do you want to go sit over there? And she looked at him and she goes, "Don't ask her questions. She is so incapable of making a decision right now. Just take yeah. her to the bed If she doesn't want to be there, she will tell you. But don't ask her to make decisions." Yeah. And he was like, "Okay, I'm so sorry." Um, <laughs> and then I think that just like that sentiment sort of stayed because after that, I still was incapable of making decisions, I, and I still didn't know what I needed. Um, for for the longest time, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, so I, husbands out there, just do shit and then just wait for <laughs> it to tell you, don't do that. <laughs> this is <Yeah>. foolproof.
0: <laughs> well, that's why I love you know the the gestures that Cosmo would do for you. I felt relate. Really, I felt like I could relate. My husband would meet me that way with the tea, with the offering. Do you need time on this day? Like that is yeah. gold. Such yeah. gold when they're proactive that way. Like what can I give you to make yeah. you you to make you whole? Yeah. You yeah,
2: know, it's really beautiful, and and and, but at the same time, oh how I wish I didn't wait around, I yes. you know waiting for permission to right. get up and go do what I wanted to do, and I did, I did do that. I, I made myself small, and I don't like that I did that. I I lived into the role that I was afraid of. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I don't want to be just a mom. And then I made myself just a mom because I was afraid and I, I didn't know, I didn't understand and I didn't know and I didn't know what I was allowed to do. And I felt like I had to have permission from something or someone um, instead of just getting it from myself. And uh, and I kind of like pigeonholed myself and I'm, I have regrets about that
1: yeah I think we do that in different areas I, of our life. I also wonder how much of this portrayal that we have in our heads of what motherhood is like is because of social media and what we see on social media of like this is what moms are like, and this is what moms shouldn't be like and
2: uh, so I did that with not social media but with media
0: like uh-huh, just, yeah. you just mentioned like that. that
2: yeah yeah with t v shows so in the book I say um i thought I thought I was miscarrying, and we go to that we're like driving to the hospital and I was 10 weeks pregnant. And I thought, Oh my God, like I'm losing the baby. I had endometriosis. So I had like a lot of pain early on. Um, And I remember, and again, this is the permission thing. I don't know why I'm sure I'm not the only one that does this, but I was like, Oh, how am I supposed to feel right now? If I in fact did lose the baby instead of just like letting myself feel I was like, oh, what's the right thing to do here? And then I realized it's because there's one way to do things based on an amalgamation of all like TV shows and movies and other people that we've known who also reacted from TV shows and movies of how you're supposed to behave when you experience a certain thing in life. There's nice. one way. For example, you uh your water breaks and you rush to the hospital. That's yes. not true, you guys. And I didn't know that until my water broke and she was like, "Great, stay home, get in bed." And I was like, "No, no, that's not how this works." Phoebe yeah. rushed to the hospital, you know? <laughs> yes. But it so it, I was really confused by the fact that everything I had ever learned about childbirth was absolute garbage and it was just made to like further a plot and be entertaining and and um so that was that was weird, and and it took a lot to for me to realize like I don't have to ask permission from anybody to f- decide how I feel. I just get to and not even decide like I should just be able to feel. I don't have to sit there and be like, do I want to be sad about this? Just feel what you feel. But that was actually a really difficult ask of myself.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. You want to move on to these? Okay, so we're going to ask you the three questions that we ask all of our guests okay um the first one is what's something that's in your purse and what does it say about you
2: unopened lip liner (laughs) okay it's my desire to be super girly but my inability to figure out how to do that
0: (laughs) (laughs) good one i like that one yeah what or who inspires you fantasy fiction writers
2: because they are literally well figuratively otherworldly the fact that they can build worlds um and have like incredibly complex character driven plots in an already complex system and then they can explain the system to you Mm -hmm. and you just get it um i i think is so I just want to be in some of their brains and just be like, yeah. how do you how do you do this? How are you, how are you making worlds? They're world building. And so for me, it's just uh they're I'm so, so impressed.
1: Well, especially since you've written a book yourself, so you know what it's like to write a book and how difficult it is. Yep. So are yep. you saying and that you might be writing a fiction a fantasy fiction novel next?
2: I cannot I think you should talk to yourself with kindness. But hell no, I'm not that smart.
0: <laughs> no, I I, I could have completely in your book. I was like, yeah, this girl likes fiction with the yeah. Harry Potter references. And, yeah, and I'm a Friends fan as well. I love. Yes, it. we are both. It just yes. gets me through if I need a laugh. I was just feeling that we too. are of our generation. I think I say in
2: the thing like Chandler is my Patronus. Like I just combined my two favorite things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, gotta love that Chandler and his one-liners. Love it. Love um, it. Uh, so. When did you fuck up as a mom and what did you learn from it? Like one that sticks out. We all have the top three. You have oh, like you, top 10 or whatever, College. you know? <laughs> um,
2: I have been going through a lot of family stuff lately, like none of it good. And um, it's been really hard because I still have to take care of a six and eight year old. And so I'll have moments where I'm really, really stressed out. And it's a lot of really high, intense emotions. And then they come to me annoying and, you know, ask me things that are like annoying, but on a scale of one to freak the fuck out, it's like a three. And I respond as a 10 because I'm like, like, I can't, cause I can't, like, I've already like hit my quota of what I can tolerate emotionally. And then they come in being perfectly normal. And so there's been a few times, I think this, it happened once this week, maybe a couple of days ago. Where I lashed out at Ronan, and you could tell he was really shocked because he like didn't understand what he did wrong. Um, And then I had to sit there and I pulled him into me and I I I apologized to him, and I was like, "Mama's going through a lot right now, and I'm I'm I was I was just really stressed out, and I shouldn't have I shouldn't have yelled at you, and I'm really sorry. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to figure out how to. I always apologize if I like lose my temper and it doesn't match. Mm -hmm. you know yeah whatever because usually if i lose it's because i'm like upset about something else um but now i'm trying to figure out like how do i let them know i'm going through something that's hard i'm not always going to respond perfectly i should still apologize but also here's healthy ways to deal with what you're going through too like i don't i I, (laughs) help yeah i think Um, they're all going that's that's my
1: current struggle yes i okay
0: well (laughs) let me know when you get an answer i have a small answer. So I'm getting older. I'm going a little wiser. Sounds- <laughs> um, before Thank you. I know I'm going to have a chunk of time where I'm needing to focus and needing to not have interruptions, even though I know I'm going to have them with them. The way I have less interruptions and have a connection with them, and this might sound messed up, but making your children human and not objects of, that come in and out of your life, is I spend 20 minutes to 40 minutes. I carve out. I, I wake up early, and I spend that time with them. I do what they want to mm. do I'm in their play. I'm in, I don't lead the play. I let them lead the play. I'm connecting with them. And that gives them the connection they're going to want with me in the next hour that I'm going to need on my own. But it also fills me as a mother to connect with them before I leave them. So once we have that, it's like, I feel like my one could go to 10 goes from one to three in my reaction. If they do come and interrupt me um, because I of that. that connection. Yeah. Because and connect. Yeah. And then
2: they're filled up and you're filled up. And so when you do come together in, yes. in the opposite, there's a it's little bit like more. We do
0: it, exactly. It's just like we do with our husbands, right? We go on dates. We have to connect. It's like you have a date with right. yeah. your kid. Um, and also <clears throat> before I leave them, I say, what are the two or three things we're going to do when I can't connect with you again? And we look forward to that. Oh, that's I a good it. one.
1: Yeah. Cause we, like we do something similar. We call it special time. Yeah. We haven't a timer. So they know like, okay, it's oh. going to be so they can see how much time they have. And then also the rule is we could do whatever they want. And then we, I, I, I don't do 20 to 40 minutes sometimes. Sometimes it's 10, you know, like yeah. whatever yeah. I have. Yeah. Um, and they are so much happier because you're like, we get to do whatever we want. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just carving that um, out and reconnecting, connecting
0: again when you're done. And I feel like it. It just, it's like a date and it's like any other relationship. And I feel like our society has completely separated parenthood with kids. And it's like a hierarchy, which there is a natural hierarchy there. Cause we are their providers. And like Kim John Payne would say, we're their governors until they're a certain age, mm. but they still need to feel us and we still need to feel them. And when we can do that with each other, I feel like we are more compassionate. Oh, Vanessa. I love
2: that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, your wisdom well, has paid off. Well done. <laughs> the wrinkles are. <laughs> <being on. So. laughs> no, it's been it's been such a pleasure to have you. And I, I don't know, you are my little celebrity today. Like it's cool to have heard your oh. voice and have heard you everything about you and and have you here today. And I recommend the book to anybody, not all mothers and fathers. And I think. As a friend to someone who has gone through that and has told me about it, Mm -hmm. it was another window and another perspective and another respect for you ladies to, on top of the everyday busy, um, hard days, you had harder days. So Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that you have had to go through that, but thank you for being so vocal today about it. And I appreciate you guys a lot.
2: You ladies are wonderful. Thank you for the candid talk.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Susie. And we look forward to hopefully having you on another, you know, in the future podcast, we think of something okay. we'll give you a ring. <laughs> that sounds great. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you Bye. so much. You
1: forgot number two, like you, you said you forgot would. Number
2: two? Oh, I knew it. Okay. And then number two, if you have any idea what we're talking about, if you haven't, I'm sorry, we can't go back. So, The second thing that helped with my anxiety, what I realized is that after I had my second and my anxiety flared, um, a few months later, we sent Sammy to school for like three half days just so I could have alone time with Ronan the way I had alone time with Sammy. and um, But then he was still, he was only five months old, so he he would have like a two-hour nap. at a specific time that was while Sammy was still in school. And those two hours, when I started getting a consistent two hours every day or three days a week in the middle of the day, I remember my panic attacks stopped. Uh And I think it's because I had the opportunity to recharge in the middle of a day, instead of at the end of a day, because you cannot recharge at the end of the day. Like that's not a thing. At the end of the day is to just like brush your teeth and fall into bed. Um, (laughs) and then wake up in you know, 30 minutes. So for me to be like, I'm going to sit down. And then with my first, with my son, my, uh, with Sammy, I would be like, what do I do? Do I shower? Do I do the dishes? Do I like, and I had to, you know, you have to be like, decide what you do with your hour or two with Ronan. I was like, I'm sitting, I am reading a book. I am drinking my coffee and this is what I'm doing. And it didn't matter if the house was on fire. It just didn't matter. And so giving myself that time to recharge, doing the thing that I love the most, which is drink coffee and read. that's when I noticed that I was like slowly starting to come out of the mist. So for me, like, find, I just find what you love to do and then carve out that time. If you can, in the middle of the day, um, I think that just pulls a little bit of your life back into you.
0: Yeah. Cause you have to connect with yourself. You have to do a check-in. Yeah. It's a check-in with yourself. It's a connection, whether we're big, we, we love to advocate yoga because that's what you do or anything reading your books like you said you know drinking coffee and just looking outside like it's it's your
1: check this is special time you're giving yourself the special time timer here put the timer on yeah
2: (laughs) oh my god i love it we came full circle
0: (laughs) (laughs) so yeah well thanks again and we're we're, we had to add it for a second we need to make sure she gets it in somehow when she's doing these interviews yes (laughs) we did it ladies good job we did it